Hi everyone, my name is uh, Dorian. We are hosting MedTech Trends. Today we have with us Sean Fastella. So Sean was born in Carson City, Nevada, where he uh, grew up playing uh, baseball and he actually excelled at it. We'll get into that. Um, he went to uh, college in Southern California. He went to Santa Barbara College, uh, City College, and uh, he received a scholarship to play at Concordia University, uh, where he also finished a degree in psychology and went on to win a national championship in baseball. Props to you, Sean. Uh, he, Appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> he grew up uh, in a pretty big family. He's one of six children. And uh, it, while he was growing up, uh, his mom was a, a blackjack dealer and uh, his father was uh, also working uh, as an iron worker. And then after college, he moved back to Carson City uh, and ended up marrying his uh, high school sweetheart. And they now have two beautiful daughters, uh, Kira and Gina, if I pronounce their names right. Yeah, Kiara and Gianna. Kiara and Gianna, and uh, it, when he's not parenting uh, or working, you can usually find him at a range or at the golf club. So welcome, Sean. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. And, and I especially appreciate you coming on and uh, being open and willing to share your story. Uh, it's not often that you get people that are really kind of open to talking about their personal experiences. Um, but I think that shows a lot of courage and, and certainly a lot of will to, uh, to help others. So I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. So today I wanted to, to talk about some of your experiences uh, living and going through uh, living with a rare disease. Um, I also want to talk about how that's kind of changed your perspective on life uh, and, and also what you've been able to accomplish in your current work um, at your company. The first thing I wanted to ask you about is actually about your, your early career in baseball because I'm i a big fan of, uh, and I don't know if the name is spelled, Ed Milet. Okay. Yeah, so so he's uh, he's become like highly successful, but he also had a, and he's one of these like public uh, speakers and he does a lot of motivational speaking and, and leadership talks and that kind of thing. But he also had an early career in baseball and he ended up actually going in a different direction but became very successful. Uh, but uh, I, I'd love to hear about what your experience was doing that. Yeah, shoot. I mean, uh, baseball was very impactful in my life. It taught me, you know, so much about being part of a team dynamic and how to work hard. You know, um, I was never growing up. I was never the biggest or strongest kid. I was a you know, very small, skinny. And so I always had to work twice as hard as everybody else in order to, to achieve the level of success that I got to. Um, but it, uh, you know, it definitely was a staple for um, just my overall work ethic and drive. And it also has parlayed so much into my life of just getting into a professional career and being able to, uh, you know, I'm in pharmaceutical sales now and just in a professional light of being able to just the work ethic and day to day, um, applying yourself. And so, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, growing up was awesome. Played high school ball, got, went to Santa Barbara city. I was able to earn a scholarship to Concordia after that. Um, well, we won a national championship in 20, 2011. And yeah, it was an amazing time. That's for awesome. Sure. Yeah, that's incredible. Hey, at what to, at what point did you decide to kind of transition in a in a different career path? After I was done playing in 2011, um, I was going to try to go play pro over in Italy, and just kind of the connections of trying to uh, to get over there kind of all fell through. And actually, thereafter, there's some independent leagues I could have gone and played for, but um, I was relying a lot on my parents for, uh, for the funds and able to live every day on a day, you know, month, uh, monthly costs and all that. So 
uh, I had to get a job, talked to my, my dad. So about a year after I coached down at Concordia for a year, and then after I was like, all right, I need to switch gears and find something else and get them more on a career driven path. And so that's what I did. And I ended up moving home and yeah, you know, I'm here today. Yeah. Yeah. And you started on, uh, on this different, uh, kind of life pack, but there's, uh, you know, things, I, I think that things kind of happen for a reason, you know? And, um, and so this, uh, it sounds like everything kind of worked out uh, pretty well in the end and, and you're doing something where you're really able to impact a lot of people. So that's definitely a positive. Yeah, it is. Everything I'm definitely through this whole experience, what we're going to discuss, uh, just everything in my life, I can definitely attest that everything has happened for a reason. And so mm -hmm. I know I'm on the right path and I'm where I'm supposed to be. Okay. Good to hear it. Good to hear. And I love that, that positive attitude too. You, uh, if you haven't heard of uh, Ed Milet, he's got a really cool story too. Um, he's, uh, he's in the, I think the insurance business now, but he's just a really cool guy to, uh, to listen to. So, um, and, and, uh, baseball is kind of like, that was the path he wanted to get into, uh, major league baseball too, but he ended up going through some like, you know, uh, great personal experiences and that changed everything for him. But yeah, just in case sure. you happen to come across him, there's something to, uh, uh, to, to bring up and you might want to check him out. Yeah, well. absolutely. So, okay. So I wanted to uh, talk about, um, everything that, uh, that's kind of happened in the last, uh, about two and a half years. So I wonder if we can take me back to two years ago. Um, what was it like when you first got diagnosed? So it was about September of 2016. I started noticing, you know, some, just some symptoms that I had that were pretty alarming. You know, I, my, vision kind of just every when I was driving outside sales so you're in your car a lot I noticed when I was driving like I just felt like I was buzzed like I had a couple beers at the bar and then I'm like driving home and I'm like man what is going on this is in the middle of the day and I just woke up remember I woke up one day and it was just went to work and it was man everything just felt really off and I was just felt pretty buzzed and I was like okay maybe I'm just groggy or you know in a head fog type deal it's nothing really to worry about and it lasted for a couple I would say like two or three days before I was like, all right, this is starting to kind of, you know, it's not, I'm not shaking it off. So I'm paying more attention to it. And then I noticed my fingertips, like my underneath my fingernails, they started feeling really tingly, kind of numbish. And I tried not to say anything. I was like, all right, I'll just shake it off. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, and it was about a, a week and a half, two weeks before I told my wife, I was like, Hey, you know, my wife's a nurse, nurse, by the way. And I was like, hey, I'm, having these symptoms i've been trying to shake it off it's not going away I and mean, what do you think we should do and she's like well, let's just go get checked out so i went in we went into the er um of course when you have those types of symptoms you get to bypass the weight because they think you're probably having a stroke and uh sure enough i went in they did a scan and what they found is they told me hey, we found a mass in your brain stem don't know really what it is um it's just off the scan of the ct and you need to have an MRI and we're probably going to transfer you up to a larger hospital, which is in Reno, uh, called Renown. So when I went through that experience, it was kind of, they just found it and they referred me out to a, just a neurosurgeon and it wasn't really made that big of a deal from the first time. And at that time it was only a four millimeter, uh, cavernoma is what it ended up being. And so they sent me to Renown and got the MRI. They confirmed it was a cavernoma that had bled. And so, but it was only four millimeter bleed at the time. And they referred me out to a, neuro, a neurosurgeon who I saw at a later date. 
And when I went and saw him, the experience was very, I don't want to say a sour experience. It was just different. So when he came in, it was very much, I dealt a lot with his nurse practitioner and, or his physician assistant. I just, uh, they couldn't really give me much information about cavernomas because they didn't really know much. Just, they made it seem like it was not a big deal. And when the doctor actually came in the room, he was on, actually on his cell phone and just like, Hey, this isn't anything really that big of a deal. And pretty much I got to go, but don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. And you can, uh, if you want, we can send, refer your, your films out to wherever you want. Okay. And so it was kind of just kind of put off or just like not that big of a deal. Cause I don't think there's like too much awareness about it, about the Gavinomans. And that same day, my wife went into labor with our first daughter. So <laughs> conveniently, yeah. So conveniently it was, uh, all my symptoms, everything got put on the back burner. And that night we're in the hospital and deliver our first daughter. And so, um, yeah, everything got put on the back burner for a few months. And I did remember though, that they did said based on the location, they kept saying, if you were to, uh, based on where this is located, you should have a lot of trouble swallowing or, um, like you feel nauseous at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and since I didn't really have any of those symptoms, like I didn't feel nauseous and I didn't have trouble swallowing or anything. Uh, they were just basically saying, Hey, it's no big deal. It's, it's just there. It's, it's something to watch. Okay. So, so yeah, that was the very, very beginning of finding out. Okay. You mentioned a couple interesting things. So I, I was reading up on this, uh, online and maybe I'll, um, I'll just kind of describe some of the, uh, the, what the actual uh, disease is. Uh, for anybody that's not too familiar with it, so so you mentioned it was a it was a cavernoma, and uh, and from what I understand, it's essentially just um, it's a bunch of um, blood vessels that kind of uh, clump up and they form a little like a mini sort of um, uh, they described it as like a little kind of blue, like a like a berry sized um, uh, lump, and it could it usually appears either in your brain or um, or your spinal cord or or your brain stem at the back of your head, and so. What that ends up, and, and you send me some pictures, and so what I can do, they're not they're not graphic, so maybe I'll I'll, I'll post one of them up um, to share with other people just for educational purposes. But sure. um, one of the things that's unique about this thing is that um, it's not very well known what causes it. Um, oftentimes, and a lot of people actually will have it, but it'll go asymptomatic, so they won't even know that they're walking around in their in their normal lives with it. And it kind of sounds like you had a bit of that experience as well, too, right? So from the, the time that you were diagnosed, a few months went by. And did anything happen in between? No. So I was, I just kind of carried on. Uh, my symptoms, they never really fully faded, but I just kind of stopped paying attention to them and didn't really think much of it. And then I remember it was Saturday and my symptoms prior, like two days before, had been getting a little bit worse. I could tell the, the, the buzz became a little bit more prevalent and I was, you know, things were kind of just moving. Um, my hands definitely were, my fingertips were a lot, lot more numb. And then I started feeling nauseous. And I remember sitting there with my wife it was a Saturday and I didn't really want to go in. And she, she ended up getting on the phone with my parents and had, my dad came down and talked me into going in. Cause I just, I didn't want to go in. I don't really like to go get checked out all the time. You know, it's right. <laughs> a little bit of a fear going on there. And, uh, yeah, so sure enough, I went in 
and they did another CT and they, it showed that it went from a four millimeter bleed to a 10 millimeter bleed. And they, down at the the local hospital in Carson, they don't really have an, uh, any neuro doctors down there. So they transferred me up to Reno and I was, uh, seen at renown and everything started to get very real at that point. Uh, this is pretty serious situation. So, um, of course they did a, another scan up at renown and the ER doctor was just like, look, I can't tell you if you're going to be okay. I don't, I just don't know, you know, and, you know, he did hit, he did a great job of just explaining like, this is more serious and you need, we're going to put you in the ICU because it's where it's located. It's, I mean, your, your brainstem. So I mean, you're, it's going to control everything that goes on with the rest of your body. And so they put me in the ICU and they were on, I believe the neuro, uh, the neurology team got looks at, at the films and they came in and we kind of went over a, a course of action. It was funny because there was two differences of opinions and the neurology neurosurgeon that I did see prior to, um, came in, looked at the films, said, Oh yeah, it grew, but it's still nothing, you know, there's nothing really we can do. And it's not to worry about it. Did they ask you like what kind of symptoms and like how frequently you're feeling these things? Cause I feel like that should have been an indicator of, Maybe, you know, medically, based on what we know, this doesn't fit the criteria of a major concern, but like clearly this person is in pain or trouble or is, is not functioning. Yeah. So I, I've told them, and it's, that's the problem or not the problem, but it's just, it's very difficult for people to relate or to even explain yourself of how you're feeling. Cause it's all internal. It's not like I had a stroke, like where my face, you know, facial paralysis or anything like that. It was very much like, this is the way I'm feeling, you know, and i I don't know what to do about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to relay that message and for them to really kind of grasp it, but they, obviously there's something there and they're like, well, is it really because the symptoms, like I had a little bit of nausea, but where that was located, if it was really an issue, they're saying you wouldn't be able to, you'd be throwing up all the time. And that okay. wasn't really prevalent, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, um, the neurologist, there's two, you know, two different neurosurgeons looked at and had very difference of opinion. And both of them wouldn't touch it. And one was like, you can go home. And then the other one came in and was like, you need to get down to, you need to send your Phillips down to Stanford. And this is a very serious situation because you are about a millimeter away from being paralyzed or, or you're, at the time you're, uh, you're millimeters away from being paralyzed hmm. from the neck down or if it bleeds more like you could die. So these are really their only two options. And it's just, I know nothing serious has happened yet, but this is, you need to get down to Stanford. And so they shot my films down to Stanford and they didn't want me to drive. They wouldn't let me drive, but this is where kind of learning about the whole, um, I guess, insurance side of things and the uh, healthcare system and how it works was, was crazy because it was on a Sunday. And at the time, I was going through a job transition. So when I did went, when I went in, I had two weeks before my start date. So I didn't think I had insurance. I wasn't aware of Cobra at the time. Hmm. So my wife tried to get me added on to her insurance. Then we had to claim Cobra and, but it's a Sunday and nobody can get you on or, and I, so, cause they wanted to medevac me to Stanford. And so it's, it was, I was more just in the seat and behind the scenes, my brother and all my family were, 
tackling all the the obstacles and being able trying to get me transferred down to to Stanford. Jeez, man, that sounds and, like, a, like a hell of a weekend. Oh yeah, and so um, what ended up happening is by that delay in which of getting me because it took another day and a half before they could actually get me down to Stanford. And when I got to Stanford, they medevaced me down there. They obviously did another MRI, and I had bled a third time. So in that time frame, I went from a 10 millimeter to a 14 millimeter bleed. And that's when like a little bit, my wife and everybody tells me, cause it's kind of all a little bit of blur, but my speech was slowing down a little bit and I just kind of, they could tell it was going in the wrong direction. And so, um, at that point it became, if you bled with one more millimeter, then it'd be paralyzed or two more millimeters the other way, it'd be dead. And so, um, Dr. Steinberg and his team got immediately got me in and I think I had my surgery I was, was eight and a half or nine hours surgery Jeez. um and woke up and it was a completely different world after that like did you did you know what you were getting into uh, in terms of so it seemed like this was an emergency case like you had to get surgery you didn't you didn't really have a second option but did you mm-hmm. know did you have all the information that you needed to know what you were really you know, what it's going to yes. come out at the other end. I, I just tried to not hear like what the best, you know, the most likely scenario coming out of the surgery would be. Uh, I didn't do any research. I tried to tell my family, I don't want to know anything. I just know like, if this is what I have to have, like happen and I have to have this surgery, like I want to go into the best, with the best mental state of like, I'm going to come out of this. I'm going to beat this and come out, you know, bring out the, I guess my old competitive, uh, you know, mindset, just like this isn't going to hold me back. And right. um, I think that helped. However, I mean, there is, because it was a very, very serious surgery. And, it, but it all happened so fast that I didn't really digest all of that until later, months later of just like, wow, I, what I went through and like how bad things could have gone. Um, I mean, I was supposed to come out paralyzed on my, pretty much my whole right side. Um, maybe not even be able to eat and swallow, um, you know, very, very serious, um, you know, post-surgery, you know, symptoms. And, right. um, I was very fortunate. My case went better than expected. And it's, um, to this day, he said, Dr. Steinberg told me that, you know, I wish every patient could recover like you. And, um, it couldn't have gone any better. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very blessed and it's just really changed my perspective on a lot of things in life. Um, but the, after surgery and waking up in that kind of state too, is a whole different battle in itself. Mm-hmm. I've, um, my, uh, my mom, actually, I just wanted to kind of plug this in too, but, um, my mom had a neurosurgery about two years ago and uh, she was also like, it was for a different reason, actually for like disc, uh, uh, degeneration, but like, you know, she was, she was in a lot of pain constantly and it took sure. a long time for her to get to that point where it was like, it's an emergency, like this has to get done. And uh, and one of the reasons why I think she delayed it for a long time was a bit of misinformation and also a bit of, she didn't she didn't want to think about what it was going to be like and what the possibility was going to be on the other end of it. Because anytime you get spinal surgery or brain surgery, there's a risk for things going very wrong. Um, and I think oh, yeah. that, that might you know make a lot of people hesitate to get it, even when they really need it. Sure. And I don't, for me, I do, 
there was no other course of action. So it was like, okay, if this is the only way that this, cause it's in there and it's, it keeps bleeding and mm-hmm. symptoms are getting worse. And, and I knew that this was the only option. And if I didn't get it, it's things are going to get way worse and, or I could die. And so when you're faced with that kind of that decision, it's like, well, I'm not going to just sit here and die. I'm, you know, I'm 28 years old at the time. I got a lot of life to live. So let's, let's get this done. Okay. Um, but, and, the, but the depth of a brain surgery for sure is, like I said, I didn't realize how, just how large and how major of a surgery that could be and like how you know quickly things could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's even hard at that point to have like a frame of reference. Cause like you said, there were even the fact that there are doctors that have different, different opinions on what you should do. I mean, clearly this is not something that a lot of people really know a lot about. Um, it is considered a rare disease. And so it's very hard to study these things to even like, you know, write about them and so that people can, can study them and, and know what to do in those cases. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I mean, even even you talking about it, that, that this is going to go a long way. I think a lot of people will uh, will benefit from just hearing this uh, this type of thing um, because not a lot of people know about it to begin with. Yeah, yeah, and that's I'd never heard of it, had no idea about it um, prior to, um, and it's yeah, it's a shocking experience. But I do, like Dr. Steinberg and his team, and he specializes in cavernomas and, mm-hmm. you know, he helped create the technology, the type of laser they use during the surgery. I mean, he is somebody that's very active in, in exploring that. And he knows, in my opinion, the most about them. And I was in the best hands that I could be in at that point. I'm glad to hear it. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so I, I wanted to also ask you, what was your, cause you said your, your wife is a, a nurse. Yes. What was her perspective on, on all of this as you're going through it? She is very, very strong. I can tell you that. <laughs> she, it was very scary for her because we had a six-month-old at the time and with our first daughter, Kiara. And I, in, she had the same, she was a track athlete growing up. She ran track at ASU. So she had the same very, you know, sports mentality. And she was the same as me of not letting any other option other than this, everything is going to be okay. And that's all it's going to be. Like we didn't think about, I know she was on the same you know, page as me as I didn't want to hear like what the options, what could be, what, you know, all we have one option and it's where everything's going to come out normal and we're going to be fine and we're going to get through this. And she was extremely strong and, you know, like I couldn't have had a better person by my side through, through the whole situation. It was, she was my rock. She got me through everything, especially the recovery. And, but from, you know, she also works in, you know, as a nurse, she also knows she deals with surgery cases. She deals with, she knows how major of a surgery that I was getting into. So it was a lot, it was scarier for her her at that point, but she held it together. You never would have known. And, uh, but it was definitely, once we got through it, it was, it brought us closer together. And yeah, it was a lot on her for sure. I, I can only imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, there's, uh, there's an area uh, that, that people are studying and talking more and more about. It's called the uh, caregiver burden. Um, and that caregiver could be, um, you know, it could be a nurse, it could be a partner, a spouse, um, or, or somebody that you kind of, you know, paying to, to come to your home and, and look after you, that kind of thing. But, um, it's, you know, whatever you go through, it's not only, you know, a big thing for, for you as the patient, but at the same time, it's, 
it becomes a big deal for all the people around you that are trying to look after you, that care for you, that want to look after you, want to make sure you're getting better. It becomes a big deal for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, along with, I mean, she's got the fears of, you know, like I said, a six month old baby, her husband might be stuck in a wheelchair. We're, you know, we're just newly married within two years. So it, it was a lot for her to digest. And, um, but again, she kept the faith and held our family strong and held us together for that whole time. Mm-hmm. It's awesome to hear. Um, and I wanted to, uh, to ask you, so, so you, you woke up from the surgery and, um, take me through what, what that experience was like at that point. That was not what I expected at all. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. It was an extreme shock. I, when I woke up, it was pitch black. I couldn't open my eyes, so I couldn't see. I couldn't talk. I couldn't swallow. I couldn't. Everything was just my eyes had really bad oscillopsia, so your eyes are just bouncing up and down extremely fast. Um, I had double vision. There were. I had really bad vertigo. Um, I couldn't feel anything. All my sensation was extremely, extremely off. Um, and all my other senses were extremely heightened. So like, I remember I could hear everything and, but the, it was so loud that like it put me in a state of like of anxiety. I didn't know if I was okay. And so anytime, you know, my brother or my wife were talking and they didn't want, maybe they're just kind of whispering, I could hear them and I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want them talking as if that like anxiety, maybe like, oh, they're talking about me. Cause everything has been, been such a focal point on me. Like, I thought everything was bad. Like they didn't want to tell me what kind of shape I was in. Um, so my body, I just didn't, I was in complete shock and just like, I don't, it was so much to handle. Plus you're in a lot of pain. I mean, you know, just from the whole incision, I mean, you're, it was a nine hour surgery. So, um, yeah, I guess shocked. And then waking up in that state, it was just, I couldn't believe just, the uphill battle that I was going to have to encounter. Cause I knew that, you know, I can't, I couldn't see, I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk, I couldn't do anything, but I could think and obviously know what was going on. And it, I just knew I was up for a large, a large task. Mm-hmm. Were you in the hospital for a long time after that? So I was in the hospital for about five days um, after the surgery, immediately when they, uh, the next morning, they came in and started trying to do a little bit of occupational and physical therapy there. Um, having me sit up, trying to, they wanted me to try to walk, you know, physical therapy was trying to have me walk. Uh, couldn't walk with a walker. Everything was just so off. Um, and they wanted to get me up and moving. And it was about five days. They sent me home and, um, uh, I had to drive three hours, um, was extremely uncomfortable like yeah uh vertigo all the, you know your bunk everything is just on a thousand and when i finally got home um i started my recovery and i had occupational physical therapy the following week and just started to get after it one day at a time um but it was definitely eye-opening i, mean, I couldn't do anything i couldn't i mean i couldn't change i couldn't go to the bathroom on my own i couldn't do it's completely debilitating so um, it's just very, very difficult you know, to have your mind go, your mind's telling your body to do something, your body can't do it. That's something that I don't think many people will ever experience. And if you do experience it, it's awful. 
Right, right. Especially from going, uh, you know, from being an athlete and having that, you know, control mm-hmm. over your body to just being very facilitated uh, and not really being able to even sense what's going on like fully. That's a, uh, yeah, I, I can imagine that must have been like, and you, like you said, you, you woke up and you actually couldn't, you couldn't open your eyes. You couldn't even see. And that's a scary place to be. Oh, yeah. Everything's just black. And when anytime you try to open your eyes, it's like the world is just in ca- like chaos. Literally, you can't control your eyes. So everything, I always use the analogy or I'll show people what it's like. If you just turn your camera on, right, on your cell phone to make a video and shake it as fast as you can up and down. And then you watch that video. That's what it was like. The vision, everything, you just couldn't control it. And like it's, I've, you know, if you're listening to this, I suggest you try that because people are wake up and they're in that state every day. It's happening, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just so awful. Um, but you know, through intense physical and occupational therapy, he's able to calm down. A lot of it's due from the swelling and actually the surgery itself. I do still have residual effects from the surgery. I still have double vision. I still have a little bit of like constant, I would say like oscillopsia. My eyes still kind of consistently move. So moderates still move a little bit at all times. Um, but that's just, those are better alternatives than being in a wheelchair to be. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it kind of sounds like it took a couple of weeks to, to go through the recovery. Yeah. So I, my eyes, I was able to get my, my vision, I would say back about after five weeks. So I sat for about a month with my eyes just closed Jeez. and yeah. Cause anytime you open them, it, you couldn't keep it open for more than two, I guess two seconds. Cause it was just so intense coming in. Um, and you know, the, I was able to start walking after the first you know week, um, with a walker and going through the, so, I mean, it's been the full, it took me about two months of solid where I felt like I was back on my feet and could could move around pretty functionally. Uh, but I still had a lot of symptoms that were, were going on every day. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, you still, like you said, you still have symptoms. Is it periodic or is it like you got to deal with this every day? Nope. It's constant. So today I deal with, you know, I still have double vision. When I look to the right, I still have that oscillopsy a little bit. I still have that buzzed feeling. Uh, my hands, my fingertips and my hands are still really like off sensation wise. My whole body is like pretty desensitized. Um, I can feel like touch and stuff, but it's in like hot and cold, but it's nowhere near like the feeling of when you act, someone else actually feels it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still, I get like really heavy arms at times. It'll just, I'll be sitting there and my arms will feel like a thousand pounds. Like they're just super heavy. Um, extreme tiredness sometimes and exhaustion. And yeah, I mean, it's, there are symptoms that I deal with on a day-to-day basis, but again, it's very difficult because if you're to look at me, you would never even know. And that's funny when I go around in the work that I do now, going in and out of providers offices and they hear this, you know, story or they'll see the pictures of the scans. They'll look at me and they'll just be like, how long ago was this? And I tell them, it was just two years. I just hit two years. They're just jaw drops, you know? Right. And so I've had a, a very blessed and fortunate experience to be able to have minimal symptoms. Like I do have, you know, it is very difficult to live with on a day to day basis, but at the same time, I know the alternative could have been so much worse. And so, yeah, I just thank God every day. And like, I mean, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, you definitely, you, you look and you sound like you're, you're like fully functioning, right? As if you made a complete recovery. 
but clearly there, there's some things that are residual. And uh, uh, but at, at the same time, I think um, you seem like a very positive person, you know, and I, and I think that's probably half the battle is just maintaining this positive outlook because it's it helps with, with like coping and just getting through and, and moving on with your day to day because you, you've got other you've got family, you've got work, um, you're, you're helping people all day, every day. And uh, there's other things right alongside that you're still coping with all these different things. I think just the having a positive outlook on this, I think that goes a long way and it's a really important thing to have. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's it's been a long journey for sure. You know, it's definitely had its challenges and you know, I try to be as positive as I can on a day to day basis because I do know that, you know, just at that moment, life could have gone one of you know, two ways. And just to kind of have another go around and be able to appreciate things more, it's it's very eye opening. And so mm-hmm. I think positivity and focusing on just you know, controlling what I can control. And a lot of it, it, I can control my mental state and I can control my attitude towards things. And so, you know, it starts with, if you can be positive, it's going to make your life a lot easier. So, you know, whatever you're doing that day, a lot easier. Um, and, you know, Nate being negative and getting down is easy. And, you know, the psychological aspect after surgery, I mean, shoot, it was difficult. You know, I felt sorry for myself at times. I was frustrated asking why, you know, because the cover was extremely difficult and living with symptoms on a day-to-day basis. Anybody that is going through something like that or in pain every day, it's not fun. And it's extremely easy to get down and, you know, go down that negativity path. And that's a bad and the wrong place to be. Mm -hmm. You were saying that you're also one of one of the outcomes of this experience has been you're you're a lot more grateful now um, for all the things that you have. And you look at that as like this is these are all the amazing things that I can now enjoy. Um, whereas it you know it could have turned out very differently, and I, I might not have been able to enjoy any of these things. Yeah, I mean, just every day of just being able to wake wake up, you know, I like do doing little tasks like once those. I think I mentioned to you just brushing your teeth or taking a shower, going to the bathroom on your own, walking. These are things that are just such simple tasks that like when they're stripped away and that's just to do one of those tasks is the daily goal. It, it's so eye opening. And I mean, just to appreciate now I can just appreciate that every day, you know, like being able to look in the mirror, to stand on my own, you know, and just those, just those simple tasks. Like I said, it's just, you're so grateful for them, you know, to be able to do those things and function on your own, let alone enjoy the bigger things in life. Like, you know, my children, my wife, uh, you know, the rest of my family and just, you know, being able to go outside, go on walks, like be vertical, you know, that's <laughs> not stuck in a wheelchair. I mean, there's, there's so much more to be grateful down to just living everyday life and waking up and versus what I think things that used to be stressors of mine prior to the surgery. Mm-hmm. definitely definitely and um what advice would you have for other people um i'm sure there there are it is a rare disease but there are many people that are kind of walking around with with um very small um uh sorry, what was the it? cavernomas very small cavernomas yeah. but they don't know and it, it could hit them so anymore. if you've been if you had a scan and you've been told that you had a cavernoma do a little more research. Definitely get second, third, fourth opinions if you need to. Um, and, you know, I would take it take it seriously because, I mean, there I was very fortunate in my case that things worked out the way they did and I've had the recovery that I've had. Um, but there's a lot of cases out there where people are 
far worse off, or they have multiple cavernomas or non-operable cavernomas. And, um, it's not something to be taken lightly. You know, that's kind of just my, how in the beginning of my story it was. And that's just, I think because of the lack of awareness and, you know, the true, uh, you know, knowledge about them. And so it is rare. And, you know, yet I would suggest if you do have it, make sure you get, get it looked at and take it more seriously. If you're not, um, if you've gone through it, you know, and you're, you have symptoms or you've gone through surgery and it's just take it one day at a time, you know, and, and focus on what you can control. And I think, you know, the mindset of positivity has played a big, big part in my life. Um, and it's not easy to do and it's okay, but there's definitely sources out there, you know, like the Angioma Alliance, there's other, you know, people that are in the, in your shoes as well and, uh, reach out, reach out to me. Um, and if you need help or someone to talk to, it, it's available. Mm -hmm. well, that's really awesome. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the organization as well, because that it was the same, uh, situation when, uh, my mom had to uh, get surgery that she didn't know where to start, right? Where do you find sure. resources to learn about these things? Uh, if we, we, yeah. we want to know about what experiences other people have had. So it's good to have that community. Yeah. Facebook, there's, you know, the Angel Alliance was good to get a lot of information on there. Um, there's actually another subgroup called the STEMIs on there as well, where it's a lot of people that have had just, um, surgery in their brainstem, same similar situation. So you can connect with people on, on a lot of that level that, cause it's hard. I mean, you know, when you have symptoms that are a lot internal, people can't really relate unless they've been through that situation. And so it's nice to know that there's a group or community or other people out there that, you know, are feeling what you're feeling or experience what you've experienced. And so, yeah, they're definitely great resources. Um, it's funny. It, um, so the Angioma Alliance, I signed up with them and they actually have a peer to peer group, which is, uh, it's pretty cool. So you can get matched up with somebody else that has had not, maybe not necessarily a similar experience, but they're part of the group and they may have had a cavernoma of some sort or some type of angioma bleed. And, um, it gives it, it's a platform to be able to connect with somebody. And I got connected with, uh, my buddy Evan out in Chicago and he's across the country. And it's kind of a unique story. I, that job that I was waiting on, right. When all this surgery went on, I ended up taking that job and they laid me off a month later. And so on, um, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was just, you know, four months into my recovery and on my LinkedIn, I had an email from, um, horizon pharma and they were just a pharmaceutical company. I, uh, went through the process. I ended up getting the job, but they send you back to Chicago for a 10 day training. And so in the meantime, you know, I've been talking to Evan, my angioma uh, partner. And I said, Hey, like, you know, I'm going out to Chicago for, I got hired by this job company and it's based out of Chicago. Like how far away are you? Like maybe it would be possible to meet up. And he's like, you're never you're not going to believe this. The corporate office where our training is held is literally two miles from his house. So at the training, we had to stay for 10 days. So we had a weekend, we got, you know, a uh, little bit of time for ourselves. So I was able to actually meet up with him and meet in person and be able to just share our stories and connect on a new level. And, you know, he's just a, a friend, somebody else I can reach out to, you know, in my darkest days or happy or whatever is going on, just another ear. And I would never have had that connection if it weren't for the angel. And so 
definitely grateful to them, grateful for Evan. Um, but it was just kind of, like I said, you know how everything happens for a reason. Right, that, right. That definitely lined up. And I just knew I'm, I was at and everything has happened the way it's supposed to be for me. That's awesome. It makes such a big difference if you know somebody that's been through a similar experience and you can just connect with them at that level, and especially with something like a rare disease when real, there's not a lot of people that know what you're going through. Right? So, I mean, you, you mm-hmm. get one person that you can connect with on a, on a deep level that just hears you out. Um, sure. makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It, you know, it's even connecting with my wife and my family. I mean, they see me, they know like when I'm having my good days, bad days, but at the same time, it's, it's tough because they, they see you and they, you seem normal to them now, right? And, but you've got a lot going on inside that they, they can't always connect with. So it's nice to have somebody else that's always in that, you know, same kind of state of mind and you're able to just share with them. Right, right. And so all of this experience, how um, has it changed the, the way that you approach the work that you're doing right now? Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm in pharmaceutical sales and they, I know what it's like to be on the other side and be in the patients, you know, be on the patient side of things. And uh, just through my experience and like the, the patient care is, is so important. And um, it's definitely made me more of a, a quality rep in terms of putting the patient first and not thinking of, you know, because it, obviously it's sales and, you know, a lot of salespeople are like, what's in it for me? But if you change the, you have that twist of like, it's not about me. It's about the patient or it's about what am I doing for somebody? So it makes my work more rewarding knowing that I'm able to be out there helping people and impact people's lives in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And I, I was checking out uh, some of the, the videos because um, that's that's how I first learned about you is just I, I had happened to uh, to see a video on LinkedIn, uh, the one that you made for um, for Horizon. And so I, I went back on, on YouTube and I was checking out the rest of the channel. And what I found was an actually surprising, very, very pleasantly surprising is that they, they've made this, this series of uh, short videos where um, people talk about why the work that they're doing at this company, it's personal to them, right? So they're, they're connected to it on a personal level in one way or another, which is, uh, which is pretty unique. You know, it's not something that, that you really get from a lot of people because oftentimes it's, uh, it's about, like you said, it's about selling the product, what's in it for me, uh, we're running a business here, but I think as soon as you tie into patient care, what it ultimately means for the for for patients and and for their lives, that changes the conversation, changes the approach altogether. Absolutely, and that's you know I was fortunate to be able to be a part of that series. You know, uh, with with Horizon and my current company, I think it's you know the personal side, the personal touch definitely makes the difference. And you know, their company that is diving into rare disease meds. Um, you know, they, uh, they want to get into that space and help people, you know, cause they understand and know it's a, people deal with these diseases and these symptoms and they are suffering on a day-to-day basis. And if they can do their part to help, and, you know, that's what it's about. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where, uh, where do you see yourself, um, going within the industry? Let's say like, if you can think out a couple of years into the future, where do you see yourself going? I, a couple years from now, I mean, I would love to get, you know, you know, stay within the pharmaceutical side of things. I've, you know, I've thought about trying to get into medical device sales or um, where you kind of have more of a personal patient um, interaction. But I do know that pharma does offer that as well. And I've, I've always wanted, I'm now, given my experience, I want to try to get into like the neurological side of things. And if there's, you know, neurological meds or um, any way that I can help on that side, just given my experience, I think it would be awesome to be in, in, in that role to help give back 
and be more relatable to more people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's um, being able to so, uh, like I started my career working with a, a lot of uh, practitioners, a lot of uh, uh, physicians, um, but I was also working with patients and to be able to bring that perspective into um, a role where you're helping to, to grow a company that's that's bringing new medicines to, to the market or new therapies or new technologies to the market. It just, it just uh, like I said, it, it changes the conversation, it changes the, the motivation, the inspiration behind the work. And I think that goes a long way. So uh, it's cool that you're, you're, you have the personal experience that you can bring to the table. Makes you certainly um, relatable to, to folks that are actually prescribing or, or using the technology. Um, so I think that goes a long way. And I see a, a lot of awesome success in your future. Yeah, most hopefully. Appreciate it. Awesome. Um, so, uh, Sean, uh, that kind of brings us to a, to a close today. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention to, uh, to listeners out there? Anybody could be a patient. Um, could be somebody working in the industry. Shoot, I just, you know, I'm I'm so grateful, and I, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Anyone that can help spread the word about rare diseases, or you know, the Angioma Alliance, or you know, anybody that's suffering with any type of rare disease or um, any day to day symptoms, uh, you know, reach out, get help, and just stay positive. Um, mindset is a big part of it, and. I guess I also got to thank my my wife and my kids and keep me motivated and on track. And so I couldn't be more grateful. Awesome. Good to hear, Sean. Um, so I want to thank you again for uh, being a guest on the show here today. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you here and talking to you about your experiences and getting personal on that. Um, you've definitely been through a lot. Um, and uh, even though you're, you're still feeling some of these uh, symptoms, um, you know, there's a, it's, it's a gradual road to a full, full recovery. Uh, but in any case, I think uh, there's a lot of awesome stuff happening in the future, and I see a lot of success again. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, to our viewers and listeners, we'll see you next time.